This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au John chapter 15, verse 1. There we go, sorry about that. So John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Thank you, Keith. Well, good morning, Anchor. How are we? Good. That was a a good, healthy response. I like that. Well, can I just um, remind you that um, Alpha is coming up. I know you saw the video uh, uh, earlier on. Every time we've run Alpha at this church, God has worked to transform people's lives. Every single time. And so if you have a friend, a family member, a colleague, uh, a neighbor whom you would like to meet Jesus and encounter God's love, then Alpha is a great opportunity to invite a friend, a family member or someone to that course. Can I say that if you are here in this room and you're on a, a spiritual journey, if you're seeking, exploring looking for answers, finding purpose, meaning or significance, then Alpha is a great next step for you. You can scan the Next Step QR code this morning and sign up for that today. So if that's you, if you are in that, this is a really squeaky stage. If you are in that boat, scan that, scan that QR code, click the sign up for Alpha today. I will get in touch with you or you can email me if you have more questions. My email there is on the event. Uh, we would love to host you for that. And I am also looking for some volunteers to help with that. So if you are interested in cooking food to bless the participants with lunch, then please also hit me up, matt at anchorchurch.com.au. We would love to bless those people with a yummy lunch. Uh, We will be meeting downstairs in the bunker downstairs here at Factory Theatre. And then finally on Alpha, um, realistically, Alpha works because people pray and ask that God would help people experience his love. And so 
could I ask you to pray that God would be working in the lives of the people who are searching, exploring and looking for answers. Um, we've traditionally run Alpha um, in an evening and our prayer team will gather together and pray in another location for the duration of the Alpha course. Um, so that may happen or may not. I haven't spoken to Jenny yet, our prayer coordinator or Bontley, but could I ask you, our entire church, to be praying for that as well? Well, I am going to pray right now. Uh, I'm also going to be praying for our newly elected state premier, Chris Minns, whether you are happy with that or not. Um, the, the scriptures call us to pray for our leaders. So why don't we uh, join together as we come before God in his word and pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. And this morning that we are reminded that you are sovereign and including your appointment of our leaders. And so, Father, we want to take this moment this morning to pray for Chris Minns, our newly elected premier and his entire cabinet. God, we pray that he would lead with courage. We pray that you would grant him wisdom as he makes decisions for the people of this state. We ask that you help him to serve the people of New South Wales well. And Father, we pray in particular that you would give him a burden of heart for those who are uh, the least, the forgotten, the broken, the needy in our communities. Uh, Father, we pray that you would bless his leadership. Uh, and God, we pray that New South Wales would continue to be a state that would experience stability and peace so that the name of Jesus might be proclaimed here in our city and in our state. And God, we pray now as we come before you, uh, we ask God that you would help us to sit humbly under your word. Father, we are reminded this morning of that parable that you told Jesus of the farmer who scattered seed and that the seed fell across four different types of soil. And this morning, Father, we pray that the type of hearts that sit under your word would be that soil that receives your word, that hears it, listens to it, and that produces a bountiful harvest of righteousness in our lives. God, we pray that that would be the case because we are people who are connected, who are with Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd work now in our midst, transform us and make us more like him. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of our Yahweh series. This has been a seven-week series exploring the I Am statements of Jesus. And if you haven't been here, the reason for this series is that we want people to understand what Jesus claimed about himself. Too often, too many people are speaking on behalf of Jesus. No one likes to be spoken on behalf of, right? We all want people to have a true reflection of who we are. And so this series has been about us allowing Jesus to speak for himself. And he has said a number of staggering statements, I am statements, identity statements about who he is and what he came to do. Uh, we saw that Jesus said when he said, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am satisfying. When he said, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I'm a good guide that you can follow. When he said, I am the gate, he's saying, I am your source of both freedom and security. When he said, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm your protection and your provision. When he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I am stronger than death. When he says, I am the way, the truth and life, he's saying, I'm the way that you find home. And today, as he says, I am, I am the vine and you are the branches. He's saying, I am the source of abundant living. Now together, all of those I am statements form a comprehensive and rich picture of who Jesus is. Something that we cannot simply say, well, I, Jesus was just a good guy, perhaps a, a prophet in history. 
Jesus doesn't afford us the luxury of saying those things about him because he claims significantly more than that of himself. And if we are to take him and his words seriously, we need to wrestle with these claims here that Jesus makes. So today, we're going to close this series out by looking at his claim, a radical, powerful claim, where he says, I am the vine. I am the vine. Now, my guess is from almost everyone in this room who says, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. Your desire is that you would live a life of abundant, lasting fruit. Would that be an accurate statement for most of you who who follow Jesus? You say, yes, I want to live a life where I'm connected to Jesus and the life of Jesus is flowing through me. And there is evidence of that life displayed in my actions, my words, my thinking, my behaviors. All of the outward manifestation of the life of Jesus is displayed in my life. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you're like, yes, I want that. Now, perhaps you wouldn't say, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're in the category of agnostic or seeker. You're exploring. Perhaps that would be an accurate statement of your life dreams and goals anyway. You're like, well, I kind of want to have a rich source of thing in my life that produces good fruit like things like patience and love and kindness and, uh, and a sense of purpose and direction. I, I want that as well. My guess is for everyone, irrespective of where you're at on the spectrum of faith, we all want some source in our life that produces good fruit. Well, today I want to introduce you to the one who offers us just that. Jesus, who says, I am the true vine. Have a look at verse 1 there. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Anyone been to Adelaide Hills, Hunter Valley? Anyone been to the wineries, spent some time sampling of the fruits of the vine? This is the picture that Jesus is offering us. As you sit in the cellar and sample the latest, you know, Cabernet Sav or Shiraz, whatever your preference of wine is, he is saying that, The reason that you can enjoy the fruit of the vine is because someone has planted a vine in a vineyard and has tended that vine and made it grow. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, he doesn't just pick these words from thin air. There is rich Old Testament biblical background to this statement. I am the true vine. Psalm 80, Isaiah chapter 5, Ezekiel 19, all of these verses God will say that Israel is my vine. Israel is my vine. In Psalm 80, God will say, I transplanted Israel. I took the vine out of slavery from Egypt. I tilled the ground. I planted the vine. I tended the vine. I cared for the vine. My people Israel and the fruit that came from that was bad. Israel was unfaithful. They worshiped the idols of the gods around them. Or Isaiah verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, which says this, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. So this picture here is not an accident. Jesus picks it because it's pertinent. It's theological. It's rich. And he says the people of God are the vine, right? God's people, Israel, are the vine. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, I am the true vine? Well, what he's saying is, I am the true Israel, the true people of God. I am the obedient son 
the, the people of God who, who God had always desired Israel to be, an obedient, faithful people producing the fruit of the kingdom. And Jesus says, I am here. You remember, there are a number of times that Jesus identifies himself with Israel. Remember in, in the wilderness when he, Israel wanders the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient, and didn't trust God to enter into the promised land. Jesus comes. He is taken by the Spirit into the wilderness for how long? That's not a rhetorical question. Someone give me the answer. 40 days. That's right. 40 days. And then he faces temptation just like Israel and is faithful. He's obedient. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel, the true people of God, obedient, faithful, where Israel failed, Jesus does not. And so to say, I am the vine and you, the people, his audience who are listening to him are the branches. He's saying, I am forming a new people, a new community, a new Israel. And it's through this community, through this church that God will see his plans and purposes filled to see the nations blessed and the Father glorified. You see, this isn't just a convenient image to motivate your 15-minute quiet time every morning, right? Although that's true. This image shows us that Jesus is doing a new work with a new people. His covenant people that would bear the marks of his kingdom. This is a picture and vision of what it means to be God's people, the church, his bride. To be connected to Jesus, to have the life of Jesus flowing through us, that that would shape and animate and form our outward lives. It's a picture of union with Jesus. And it says a number of important things. This is, a, this is an identity statement. This is an identity statement that we are connected to Jesus by his life, death, resurrection and ascension, by the pouring out of his spirit who dwells inside of us. We are connected and united to him. And that is the truest statement that you could say of us, that we are Jesus' brother, that we are the father's sons and daughters, right? This is a rich identity statement of union with Jesus. This is also a statement of our being, right? That we this is how we ought to live our lives with Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, manifesting fruit in our lives, just like Jesus did. And this is finally a statement of purpose, a statement of purpose that we would bear lasting, abundant fruit. This is a beautiful, rich image when Jesus says, I am the vine. It's not just cause and effect, although that is true. But in order for this to happen in order for this beautiful picture to occur, we're required to do something. And it says this in verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now to remain means to stay, to live, to dwell, to get comfortable, to be or other translations, perhaps your translation might say abide. right? And that, that verb there is used 11 times in this short little passage. And it's, it's a clear agricultural metaphor. right? We, have, we should be very familiar with it. The principle is that fruit on a vine, grapes on a grapevine, are only there because of its direct connection to the network of systems, the trunk and the roots that draw up water and nutrients from the ground and then send that out along the branches to produce fruit. The vine draws up H2O, water, and fruit comes 
And the principle is as true of agriculture as it is for our spiritual lives. It's true of our apprenticeship to Jesus. If you want to see fruit in your life, if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you want to see a life that looks like Jesus, then we must remain connected to Him. We must stay in Him. We must abide in Him. Jesus will repeat Himself over and over again. Verse 5, He says the same thing. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. But then he issues this like warning here in verse 2, where he says, any branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off. So perhaps Jesus here is thinking about Israel, faithless Israel, who did not walk in obedience before God as he commanded them to do. Perhaps he has in mind Judas, who is about to betray him because in John 15, this is happening right before the Passover, right before Jesus is about to head to the cross. So perhaps he has that in mind. But whatever it is, the point is that you cannot bear fruit without connection to Jesus. And therefore, a branch that is not bearing fruit is pointless. It gets cut off. What is a, a, a dry, dead, fruitless branch useful for? It's useful for firewood. That's what we do. Like none of us takes a broken off gum tree and sticks it in a vase at home, hoping that at some point a flourishing gum tree will grow. Now I realize, yes, you can do that with a whole bunch of other plants, devil's ivy, just cut it off, stick it in water and whoa, it grows, right? But for the most part, when you sever a living thing from its source of nutrients in life, it will die. You cannot expect fruit. You don't get bananas from a chopped off banana leaf that you stick in a vase at home. It just doesn't happen. Jesus is saying, you must remain connected to me. Fruit on a branch of your life, whatever that fruit looks like, reveals the source that informs that fruit in your life. And so my question is, what is the source? What fruit do you see manifest in your life? Do you see the fruit of love, the fruit of obedience to Jesus, the fruit of disciple making, like making disciples who make disciples, the fruit of submitting ourselves under Jesus' word, not when it's convenient, but all of it. Are we remaining connected to our source? And there are prim primarily two ways that Jesus says that we can do this here in John chapter 15. The first is, he says, remain by remaining in my word. Have a look at verse 7. This is what it says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain. So there's something synonymous about what Jesus is saying about remaining in Jesus is kind of like allowing the word of God to remain in us. And our lives ought to be a mirror of the picture of Psalm 1. The person whose life is planted by streams of living water. And because they're next to a water source, it does not matter what the weather is like. It does not matter if a drought comes because there is a constant supply of water and nutrients. And so this plant, this tree, it thrives. That ought to be a picture of our lives because we are connected to our source. You see, the thing is, this book, the scriptures that you hold in your hands or perhaps on your device, this 
book gives us life. The author of Hebrews will say this, this, work, this book is living and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. It reads us. We don't just read it. This book brings life to us. You remember the, the parable of the sower that I prayed about at the start of our time, the parable of the sower. The seed is scattered. The seed is the gospel, the word of God. And the four different types of soil that Jesus mentions there are different types of hearts with a sense of receptivity to that word. And Jesus is saying it's, it's the, the, the person who remains is like that third soil who allows the word to sink in deep and then walks that out in obedience. A word that is a life that is receptive, that listens and does. I love that image in the Psalms where the psalmist says, Lord, I've taken your word and I've hidden it in my heart. He's imprinted God's word on his heart. That's the picture here, to remain in Jesus' words, the scriptures. The second is to remain in his love. Have a look at verse 9. And this is just a staggering statement. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, just reading that, we ought to fall flat on our faces in worship. Because if you consider the extent, the depth, the height, the width of the Father's love for His Son, and Jesus is saying, that way that the Father loves me, I have loved you too. That is incredible. Now remain in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. We simply do not move past the foot washing, serving, dying on the cross on our behalf, Savior and His love. We, we do not graduate past that. We stay in the love of Jesus. Our belovedness, the fact that Jesus loves us like the Father loves the Son. That ought to be the truest thing about us, our primary identity. The thing that our entire lives orbit around is the fact that God loves us, that Jesus loves us, and we stay there. And I think perhaps of this generation, too many, too many are allowing our fluctuating love for God to set the tone of our faith. And so we're up and down. We're like, I love Jesus on Sunday, but come Friday morning, we're depressed and wonder if God could love us because we, the train system was not working. I don't know why. Some trivial thing happened in our life and we're like, we allow our fluctuating emotions, our fluctuating love for God to set the tone of our faith. I want to say to you, remaining in Jesus' love means allowing that love, His love for us, to be a foundation on which we build our faith, not our love for Him. Because our love changes. Our emotions are up and down. We've just sung that the Father doesn't change, that His love for us is consistent. It's an everlasting love. We love God. And then love is manifest, really, if you see there, by obedience. Our, our love for God is not something that is emotional and intangible. It's practical. It's real. And we can see it manifest in our lives. And it looks like 
obeying the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. You know, as a parent, um, very frequently I spend a lot of my day disciplining my kids for various things, you know, punching, kicking, fighting, meltdowns, you name it. It's a just, you know, game on. And quite often I find myself thinking, I, I don't say this out loud, but I'm thinking to myself, do you even love me? Like, I've asked you to do this and you've just turned around and done the very thing that I've told you not to do. What is wrong with you? Right, our, our outward actions demonstrate what is happening in our hearts. And I, as a parent, need no convincing that children are walking sinners, just like every single one of us, right? Those of you who aren't parents, you just need convincing. Maybe one day when you have a child, you'll be convinced as well. But the, the truth of the matter is that the, the way that we demonstrate, the way that we show our love for God is by obedience, by submitting ourselves humbly to his word, not in just the areas of life that are convenient, but all of our life, every single corner of it. So here's the headline from John 15. A life of abundant, lasting fruit is about remaining, staying, abiding in Jesus. He is the source of life that will flow through us and manifest fruit in our lives to remain in his word, to remain in his love will produce the types of lives that look like Jesus. So what does this mean? I think this has a number of really significant, important implications for us as a church, for us as individuals. The first is life, true life does not come from within. Has anyone heard the advice perhaps plastered across Instagram or some cheesy quote site that says, if you want to know where life is, you need to look within. It's, it sounds like really beautiful and amazing. The problem is I'm looking in on something that is conflicted and broken and twisted and changes. And Life is not found by looking within. Life comes from an external source. We are branches. And unless we are connected to a source that provides us the sustenance that we need, Life will simply not manifest in fruitfulness in our lives. We need an external source. And that source actually is Jesus. He is the vine. And the life that we experience in connection with him is the very life that we were created to experience in relationship with God. Secondly, our Christian life, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, your Christian life is about being shaped by God being shaped. And I use that word shaped intentionally because what a, a vine grower does is that they really intentionally shape a vine by pruning it, by cutting it. And so they will, particularly in winter, is the time where vines will be trimmed and pruned. They will trim off and cut off parts of the vine in order to do two things. One, grow the vine in a particular direction. They want to shape it in a certain way. And secondly, to produce the best fruit that that vine can possibly produce. A vine that is uncared for will simply grow all over the place, grow in, and in itself, and it actually will not produce fruit. It will not ripen. And so the vine grower needs to cut the vine, prune the vine in order to produce ripe fruit. 
But the thing is, pruning is never comfortable, is it? None of us like to be pruned in our lives. And I want to speak a, a word to those of you who find yourself in a season of pruning. I want to say that perhaps the difficulty that you are facing in your life right now is not the evidence that God has abandoned you, but there's far more committed to you than you practically realize because his commitment is to prune off the parts of your life that are dysfunctional, not working, unhelpful in order to produce better fruit in you. One of the things as I was reaching, researching this week, what vine growers do, one of the things that I found is that particularly when the vines are really young, they, they prune really hard and really heavy because they're pruning now knowing that down the track, what they have done is produced a strong trunk with deep roots that this vine can produce fruit. God is our vine grower. He is the gardener. And He is so committed to our Christ-likeness, to our lives that would look like Jesus, that He prunes off the parts of our life that are ineffective, that will not produce good fruit, that are destructive to our lives. Thirdly, a life of abiding is a life of abiding, not just moments of abiding. This is a life of remaining and staying in Jesus. Right? Not simply a set of beliefs that we intellectually assent to. That's not what our faith is. That's not what Christianity is, that we box tick, yes, I believe, a doctrinal statement. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a way of living. And to remain in Jesus, to stay in Jesus, not simply just 10 minutes at the start of our day in our quiet time, it's an entire life with Jesus. It's a 24-7 thing. Now, I'm not throwing shade on quiet times, right? To this date, I still cannot figure out a better way of nurturing my faith with Jesus than spending time in the mornings reading and praying. And I've got to tell you, as a preacher who had to preach on John 15 this morning, knowing where my personal life is at the moment, I was just sharing with someone, I, I need help to get my out-of-control life under control. So I have too many things on my plate. But to be honest with you, as I was thinking, I was walking to church this morning praying. I was like, God, actually, I think that's just an excuse. I think my busyness is just an excuse. Because I, I find time for all of you. I, I find time to go to the gym. I find time to watch the footy. I find time to scroll. It's just an excuse. And so I'm, I'm preparing this message this week going, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm the one who needs this message this morning, not just church. But this is not just, so, so that, was a, that was a tangent. This, I'm not throwing shade on the 15-minute quiet time in the morning, right? Because I think that is foundational. Time in the Word, time in prayer, time in silence, stillness, fasting, all of the, all of the classic spiritual disciplines I think are essential. But what I think Jesus means here is something more than that. It's not a life. This image is not um, inspire our imaginations to a life of comp compartmentalizing God to the mornings. Right? The, the, the picture that this ought to inspire for us is walking with Jesus every day. Walking side by side with 
Jesus in all of the moments of our lives. A life lived with Jesus. A life. Not moments, but all of it. Finally, let me just say this. I think this ought to mean that this, this metaphor of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches, I think this ought to mean that we should shift the goalposts for what success looks like for our lives personally, but also for our church and churches in general. If we are to see this metaphor for what it is, a picture of the identity and purpose of God's people, the church, connected to Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, manifesting the fruit of obedience and love in our lives, that ought to be the primary measure of the success of a church, of the success of my life, right? Spiritual vitality, not bums on seats, not buildings, not budgets, not bucks, not any of those things, although they're important, they are somewhat measures, but the true measure of whether or not a church is Doing what Jesus calls us to do is our spiritual vitality. Your spiritual vitality. That's the measure of success in your life. Not whether or not you're kicking career goals, not whether or not you found a potential life partner, not whether or not you have purchased a house in Sydney, not whether or not you have managed to spawn some offspring, not whether or not any, any of these measures, right? That These wonderful measures, right? The key primary measure is am I connected to Jesus and is the likeness of Jesus being formed in me day by day that's that's the measure I think for too long the church has been captive our imagination has been captive to the success of the mega church and what we see Jesus offering us here is a picture of farming it's quite simple. It's quite bland, somewhat boring. But the fruit that is developed in the life of someone who is connected to Jesus, he says, is the type of fruit that will last for eternity. That's the measure of our success here at Anchor and in our personal lives. So let me say this as I wrap up and as Jake comes up. I want to ask you this morning, wherever you're at on the faith spectrum here, you may be atheist, agnostic, searching, Christian, deconstructing, whatever it is. What is the source of your life in this moment? Where have you put your roots down? What are you drawing from? And what fruit is that manifesting in your life right now? That's a genuine question for everyone in this room, irrespective of your worldview, faith, background. What is driving you? What is motivating you? What is your source of life? If you would say, hey, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't really know. I've not really thought about it. We would love to journey with you and help you discover that reality. Or perhaps you say, you know what? I think what I've been plugged into is actually manifesting destructive bad fruit in my life and I need a change. And it's no good just dealing with the peripheries of the fruit out here. We need to go all the way down to the roots and deal with where our life draws its sustenance from. But perhaps you say, yes, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But you know what? There's some fruit in my life that I'm not pleased with. And I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't pleased with either. The same process is true for you. We need to go down to the roots. We need to come back to Jesus, remain 
in him, remain in his word, remain in his love and walk out every moment of every day with an acute awareness of his presence in our lives. There's a beautiful um, picture that comes out of this book written by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. You may have heard of it. It's, it's actually not easy to read. And he, he has to be, I think, the most overdriven Christian I've ever read in church history, right? If you read the book, you're like, whoa, unattainable. But he does paint this beautiful picture of what it means to walk throughout every day of our lives with an acute awareness that Jesus is present, that we get to do life with Jesus, connected to Jesus. And he says this in his book, Practicing the Presence. Jesus does not ask much of us. Merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, that he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. He doesn't ask much. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to do life with Jesus. To walk through the moments of our days, acutely aware of the presence of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, that He's with us, that we stand in His love, that we stand under His Word, and that His presence, His life shapes the way that we live. And I can't help but think that if we can move past compartmentalizing our lives to segments and begin to nurture this awareness of the presence of Jesus in the everyday moments, that we will start to see the fruit in our lives begin to change. That we will begin to be aware of what it looks like to abide in Him. So that's my prayer this morning. The prayer that I need. Not to just flick through the verse of the day on the Bible app and get on with what I'm doing, but to remind myself that the fruit that is produced in this church is a direct result of what Jesus is doing through me. I can only give out what Jesus has first put in. And that is true for every person in this room. So that's my prayer, that we would develop an acute awareness of what it looks like to walk with Jesus in the moments of our lives.